This morning, we are starting a new message series, a new message series called Looking Back to Move Forward. If you think about it, much of our educational journey in life entails looking back and examining the past. Of course, history is part of our school curriculum because it's important for students to look to the past and the past can inform our present. We can execute in the present and the future more sharply if we understand our past. And at the same time, we can be encouraged from history when it comes to looking at accounts of people who were particularly heroic or who were super noble. A few very specific things from my history classes growing up left an impression on me and in a way motivated me to want to do something meaningful. The big example that comes to mind for me are the Native American code talkers. I did a big project on them in the ninth grade, and doing so helped me dive deeper into World War II, and I felt a great sense of appreciation on the way that the Navajos and that other Native American tribes served in the Allied forces in World War II. They would relay messages over radio in their language which was really slick because their adversaries could intercept the radio calls, but they could in no way interpret them. In the process of studying them in ninth grade, I also learned that actually the Cherokee and the Choctaw tribes did the same thing in World War I. I loved learning about these people from the past who had gone before us, and I saw that they played such an underrated and vital part in both of the world wars. And in examining them, I got a greater understanding of the bigger picture and what happened in each of them. Now, we don't tend to study church history as much as we study national history or world history. I didn't study church history at all growing up, attending public schools from kindergarten through college. And I also didn't learn much about church history growing up in church either. It wasn't off-limits, per se. It simply never came up. Later in life in divinity school, I came to realize that church history is rich and interesting. It turns out a lot of fascinating people have lived very interesting and notably faithful lives in the time between when the Bible was written and the present day. So slowly, in the same way that I became intrigued by those code talkers in ninth grade, I became fascinated by figures from the church from centuries and centuries ago. But this was different, though. The writer of Hebrews encouraged the first century Christians he was writing to, and all of us who follow his readers, that we have a great cloud of witnesses. We can run the race of faith with perseverance motivated in part by those who have gone before us in that great cloud of witnesses. Let's look at that verse together. It's Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's Hebrews 12, verse 1. And in it, we see that we have a great cloud of witnesses. Picture millions and millions and millions of people who have run the race of life over the ages, faithfully serving others and in the process sharing the hope of Jesus with their whole lives. We are surrounded by their witnesses and by their marks on history. It's refreshing to be reminded from Scripture that we are so far from alone in our pursuits of being faithful followers of Jesus. As we've already touched on this morning, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Additionally, we have this great cloud of witnesses that's surrounding us. And practically in front of us, we have our church community by our side. Before we go too much further this morning, take a moment to consider who is in your great cloud of witnesses? Who has helped motivate you to move forward in your faith? It could be a family member or a Sunday school teacher or a good friend. It might be someone you don't even know, someone whose witness spoke to you through reading books that they wrote or poems that they wrote or seeing their witness in history. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, both people that we've known in our lives and motivating people throughout history. So in this series that we're starting today, looking back to move forward, we're going to look at some specific people in that great cloud of witnesses, some giants of the faith, and we'll examine how God worked through them through the lens of Scripture as we consider what their witness means for us today. This morning, we're starting by highlighting someone named Hildegard of Bingen. If you have not heard her name before, I hope over the course of worship this morning, you'll get a sense of who she is and be motivated by her witness. You can see an icon image of her there. She lived in the 1100s in what is today Germany. And she did a lot. She was a writer and a composer of sacred music. She was also a natural historian. She wrote works on medicine and botany. Her wisdom was sought after by powerful people in high places. And she also went on multiple preaching tours. Have you ever known someone or do you have a friend who it feels like they do a little bit of everything and they do everything they do quite well. Well, Hildegard was one of those people. She was proficient in philosophy, in music, in botany, in literature, in medicine, in theology, and more. And her life was fueled by the unquestionable work of the Holy Spirit. From a very young age, Hildegard experienced visions. They were visions of light and sound. And these visions, though frightening at first, worked to inform her writing and her music composition and her general outlook on life. And though she feared them at first, she grew up. She became a nun and she was encouraged to harness these visions, to write them down and to see them as divinely inspired. 
her music and her poetry, it led, other, led others to not only marvel at her skill, but to learn about God's goodness. Her music was liturgical, which means it served to facilitate communal worship of God. It helped people at the same time both understand and praise God. And some of her songs were more like chants. In fact, there are more surviving chants from Hildegard than there are from any other composer in the Middle Ages. This all sounds cool. She sounds like an accomplished music writer and musician. But we need to remember that songs of worship and liturgical chants were especially significant in the Middle Ages. Very, very few people in the Middle Ages were literate. Scholars will debate a precise percentage, and it's not worth getting in the weeds on that, but it's likely that somewhere around 10% of the population was literate in the Middle Ages. And of those who were literate, an overwhelming majority were male. So Hildegard was very much an outlier in many ways, her literacy, of course, being one of many details that set her apart. I want you to imagine what your spiritual life today might look like if you were unable to read or if you didn't have technology to access someone to read to and for you on demand. Because today, when somebody wants to learn more about God, what do they do? What's the first thing someone might do? They might pick up their Bible. They might read other books that could help with spiritual development. They might utilize some sort of digital resource. This way of taking some first steps towards God like that is really all we know today. But if you think about the breadth of Christian history, you realize that we have it pretty good when it comes to being able to access God's word and worship tools on our own and independently. As we see looking at the life of someone like Hildegard and other people in the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, what we know in approaching God and stepping directly towards the Bible wasn't entirely possible in the same way for an overwhelming amount of the church's history. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that people haven't intimately known God or that illiterate Christians were some sort of lesser status than illiterate ones, by no means. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has been working in and through people all across the globe since the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. We heard about it in the passage that Pastor Phil read this morning. Since that date, the great cloud of witnesses who have gone forth from Pentecost have done incredible things by simply obediently harvesting the gift of the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, place yourself in Hildegard's time, in the 1100s. Imagine how much more you might have to rely on your community and the gathered worship experience when it comes to satisfying spiritual hunger. For Hildegard and and for much of the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, growing closer to God was very much a 
together experience through songs and through chants and through worship. This is something that we know and that we do together too. And I believe that as the great cloud of witnesses has surrounded the church and has looked upon the church over this past challenging year, that they have been proud of the work that the church has done to remain connected, to continue building each other up, and to serve in a way that makes God smile. When we look at the picture of Hildegard and we see that icon of her, the person who made this went with what was most known about her in her music composition. And we might look at this and think, cool, she wrote worship hymns, but it was so much more than that. It was an act of service that she poured her life into, fueled by the flame of the Holy Spirit that ultimately brought people closer to God. Like I said, she was someone who did a little bit of everything, and her wisdom made her well-known, and as she became well-known, she made God well-known. Her wisdom was such that she was sought for counsel as a, a correspondent to kings, to queens, to church leaders, and even the Pope at the time. And as Hildegard grew in stature and grew in influence, she went on multiple preaching tours throughout Northern Europe, which is especially remarkable given the status of women in the 1100s. Hildegard knew about the transforming love of God, and she expressed it in a way that transcended the boundaries of her age. Countless, countless people came to know God as a result of her, as a result of her allowing the flame of the Holy Spirit to work in and through her, both in her lifetime and after it. The Spirit was very strong in her. We heard in our passage earlier this morning from Acts 2 that when the gift of the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, what seemed to be tongues of fire rested on the early followers of Jesus. They began to speak in other, language, as other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And naturally, this caused a scene because we know from Peter's words that people speculated that, you know, what maybe these crowd of people was intoxicated. Peter addresses that rumor head on. I encourage you to peek back with me at, at Acts 2, starting in 14. We see, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, will pour out on my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Peter here is quoting the prophet Joel. You can look in your Bible in the book of Joel and see this passage that Peter's pulling from. And people in Jerusalem would have recognized this quotation. And as a result, they would realize that 
Peter is asserting that Jesus, who recently died on the cross and rose from the dead and had just ascended to heaven a chapter earlier, he was truly God and that what they were seeing there at Pentecost was a fulfillment of prophecy. This fulfillment meant that God, the Holy Spirit, was poured out on all people. God's presence was not confined to a priesthood. God's presence was not confined to a holy spot in the temple. God's presence wasn't something that required attaining a certain amount of knowledge to grasp. God, the Holy Spirit, was a gift for all, a gift that empowered people to both know God and to do God's work. The Holy Spirit is often depicted using fire or flames. In verse 3 of Acts 2, we saw earlier that the Holy Spirit was described as what seemed to be tongues of fire. I want you to picture this flame as we look at how that's representative of the Holy Spirit and think about what does this mean for us? What is God calling us to do in light of Hildegard's life and in light of Act 2? So I want you to use your imagination with me. Think with me about a pre-COVID packed stadium. It could be for a sporting event or a concert, a speaker, a a revival, anything like that. When I am next in a packed stadium, it is going to feel so good. For me, the return to normalcy feels are going to be packed worship and then right under that, a packed stadium. If you've ever been to a stadium, perhaps you've been there before when people have started doing the wave. The wave is amazing to witness and wild to be a part of. And when a wave starts in a stadium, it's hard to track where it began or how it began But all of a sudden, the whole stadium is going around and around doing the wave. Somebody starts it with just a little flame, and it spreads like wildfire. Let's take a look. They're having a blast with the wave there. It usually starts with a small flame with one person or a little crew, but then it spreads like a blazing fire with, in that video we saw there, a 100,000-person stadium participating. What about a chant, too? If you have a, a team you support, you more than likely know some of their chants to use at games. Or if you're a committed follower of a band, you probably know most of their lyrics. Chants are catchy, and we like them. It's easy to learn the lines, and everybody joins right in. I've been to a handful of sporting events where I didn't know the team, or concerts where I had no idea who the musician was, but by the end of it, I felt like I was one of them. I felt like I was a committed follower because I had learned the chants, and I had joined in with the others there. Doing this together, it's a simple way to feel a connection to those around you and connected to the one 
leading or the one you're supporting. With the wave in mind, with chance in mind, imagine the effectiveness that Hildegard had in her ministry with those in her age. People who couldn't read, they could learn these chants and they could worship corporately together in a powerful way. Hildegard's gifts, they became ways that God used her to spark flames of faith in others. Like the person who starts the wave in the stadium or the person who might start an encore chant chant at a concert. It's a little flame that spreads into a wildfire. When the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and anointed the heads of those present like a flame, this was God's presence poured out on all people. No longer, as in days prior, was God's presence only for a select chosen. Because of the truth of the passage we've seen this morning in Acts 2, we know that we are all, as believers and as followers of Christ, recipients of this gift of the Holy Spirit, and we are chosen and we are adopted into God's family. There are no parameters to who can join it and what they can do. Imagine simply on paper the potential someone like Hildegard of Bingen had. She was living in a time with very little intellectual prosperity. Remember, this is before the Renaissance, before the Enlightenment. She also faced impediments to advancement simply because of the status of women at the time. Yet, Hildegard was a thriving member of God's family, and God used her in big ways because the Holy Spirit in her, like a flame, shined for others to see and for others to catch her spark. So what about you this morning? Do you know, do you believe that you are invited to be part of God's family? And do you know that God has anointed you and that God has very specific plans to use your gifts? It's a simple yes or no question, but do you believe that God has anointed you, that God has gifted you to do his work? Or are you waiting for God to use someone more powerful or someone more important? Remember that God uses all kinds of people. In Acts 2.17, as Peter was preaching and he quoted the prophet Joel, he said, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That includes you. That includes all of us. And that's what makes the church community so special. We are all called individually and together, corporately, we do amazing things that makes God smile and that bears witness to how good and redemptive God is. We can't sit around and hope that someone with a higher level of skill or who might be more bold steps forward and does the important work of serving others and sharing Christ in the process. It's a calling that we are fully equipped to do because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, God 
in us. We have a cloud of witnesses who've gone before us who have bared witness to who God is in their life and in their ministry. And the same spirit that empowers them empowers us to do good work. In light of the scripture we've looked at this morning and the witness of Hildegard of Bingen we've looked at together, the question I'd like you to ask yourself in the week ahead is, how is God using you like a flame to ignite others for God's glory? If you're able to identify something, pray that God would continue to bless those efforts to help magnify them so that you could use your gifts empowered by the Spirit to serve others. And if you're left scratching your head a little bit at this question, ask God this week, ask God today, what is that gift that you want to use the Holy Spirit through me to take a flame that's inside of me and turn it into a fire? Remember, just two Sundays ago, it was Palm Sunday, and we reflected on Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. That is no earthly picture of great power. But from that, we saw power. We know what happened during Holy Week. We saw Jesus' power on the cross. We saw Jesus' power through the empty tomb. I want you to hear this clearly this morning. That same power is shared with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That same power. The power is within us because like a flame, God lights up his followers when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we must be obedient and take that light and release it so that others may see it shining and know God too. Amen. Let's be encouraged by the witness of Hildegard, by the witness of others who have gone before us that God has been working through people in the past in miraculous ways. And that same Holy Spirit is a gift that we receive and that God uses in us to work in miraculous ways today. So I invite you to pray with me now. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be able to locate it in our lives this week. God, help us identify the ways that you have gifted us for the sake of stepping towards others, of serving others, and of making your name great. God, encourage us through your spirit too. Help us know that, God, you are with us every step of the way as we look to make a difference for your sake. God, the weight is not on our shoulders. God, you have done all the heavy lifting on the cross. So, Lord, help us be open to your spirit as we seek to do your will right now. In Jesus' name, amen.